Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. What do you think what do you think it is about Long Beach that's produced uh, so many, you know, hot musicians and, and rappers and everything? You know, years ago, there was like bands. Long Beach had quite a few bands. And everybody was in their garages trying to, you know, trying to get famous or whatever. And and L.A. was full of bands. So when we finally thought we were good enough to go to L.A., because they had, L.A. had a lot of bands that was coming from the East Coast. But Long Beach had, I don't know, it was, it was, we just figured that uh, we probably had just as good a chance as anybody else. But the war, war came out of Long Beach, and they did good, at, you know. But the rap thing, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how that started, but there was a lot of great rappers in Long Beach. Because at one time, I was producing a lot of rap stuff. And, and these guys, man, some of these guys had never been heard of, but they were great. You know, they just didn't get a break. You know, Long Beach has a lot of, there's a lot of vocalists around Long Beach now, you know, that are trying, trying to make it whatever. But, but I don't know what it was. It was just a music, it was, there was just a lot of music in Long Beach for some reason back then. What, what do you think it was about that second record that didn't click like the first one in terms of radio play and sales and all that? I think really there were some hotter tunes on that second album, I think, than the first one. But A and M just didn't get behind it the way they did the first one. I guess they thought that it would basically shell itself. Or and and another thing that hurt is we never did get a chance to do a video. And I think that's what kind of slowed down the momentum. We didn't get a video. I think that would have changed some things. If we had a, you know, but we got to do Soul Train and all of that, you know, which was great. And that kind of pumped up everything, too. But we didn't get to do Soul Train for the second album, you know. How did it feel for you doing Soul Train uh, the first time? A dream come true. And that's all we used to talk about when we first started our band in junior high school, <laughs> being on Soul Train. You know, but we didn't ever think we'd actually be on there, you know. And I remember the first day the manager came by rehearsal and told us, 
we're getting ready to do swimming training. We was like, what? You know, I it was it was just unbelievable. It was that was like it. You know, for us when we were putting the band together, man, we, that was like the final frontier. <laughs> Soul train. So yeah, yeah, it was uh it great. It was just unbelievable. You know. What what was Donnie what what is and what was Donnie Sterling like in terms of uh you know his musicality and also as a guy? Man, Donnie was he always could catch on the music real quick. You know, he was a great musician and he started playing playing guitar when we first started our band. We had two guitar players and a drummer and me. And we didn't even know that a band's supposed to have a bass player. We had two guitar players. So somebody told us one day, they said, man, you guys ain't got a bass player? We're like, no. We said, for what? They said, well, you, you have to have a bass player. So we were going to keep, so we went and told the Donnie and Jimmy, the guitar player, we said, look, man, we need a bass. So for one of you guys got to go, and we're going to keep the strongest guitar player, which was Jimmy, you know. So Donnie didn't want to leave the group, so he took two strings off of his guitar and turned it into a bass and started playing it like that. And we kept him in the band until his daddy bought him a real bass. And then he just learned that bass like it was a rap. He stayed in the band. You know, that's how he started playing bass. But as a person, he's a great, great person. We're real laid back, you know, kind of quiet. You know, and great singer. He can sing. You know, he was he was singing like that when he was in high school. And uh yeah, yeah, that that's where he uh that's Donnie. He just always been an innovator and and he, he learned how to program and all this stuff before any of us did. I used to write songs and I needed him to program my drums because I didn't know how to program the drums yet. And he knew how to do all of that stuff already. But he's good at what he does. You know? Did, did you get to hang out in the studio at all when, um, you know, George and P-Funk was laying down any of their stuff in the late 70s or early 80s? In the 80s, I went to, I think, one or, one or two sessions maybe, you know, you know, when they were recording. But they recorded, like, Days, days, and days, and days in, you know, just all night for days. You know, they would record stuff. A lot of the stuff they record, they don't even use. You know, they're constantly recording songs and writing songs. So they have a whole lot of stuff to choose from. But they would just create right on the spot in the studio. Nothing was planned. Nothing was planned out. They just go in there and just create from scratch. Somebody would start playing a beat or somebody would start playing a rhythm. And that's how they would do it. And if a drummer wasn't in the studio when they started creating, George would run outside and and ask anybody walking past the studio, can they play drums? <laughs> and some, some of these kind of people came in and just laid down the drums and left. You know? So that's why on the credits, some of the credits is inaccurate, you know, some of those parts. You don't know who played what. Donnie played drums on a lot of those songs. You know, and he he wasn't really a drummer, but uh, but he could play the drums in the studio. He knew how to lock the pocket, 
So yeah, that's just how things were getting done back then. It's a little different now, <laughs> you know. Back back in the day, um, you know, when you guys had your AM deal, was there one particular concert or show that really stands out to you for some reason? A show that we did? Yeah, kiddo. Um, I think the Beverly Theater was one because Prince came to the show. He came to one of those shows there for Beverly. We did too. And we only got to play one night. Uh, we played one night, and then George, George played the second night by himself, I think. But uh, one of the most memorable shows that we did, I think, was at the Palace in Hollywood. Palace was, it was, every, everything just went right that night. There wasn't no sound problems or nothing. I think that was memorable. Oh, oh and playing Grambling was a big deal for us. <laughs> was that yeah. just you or on a bill with others? No, no, it was just kiddo. It was it, it, it was just a kiddo tour. Just us only. And it was for Olin with 800 malt liquor. And they had their truck and all the Old English banners and neon lights and all of this stuff for the tour. Yeah. You know, but I heard that there was a lot of groups that were doing that tour. Shalimar and a couple, a couple other people had did it before. Yeah. Well, I saw a lot of good shows at the Palace. Didn't see that one, though. Too bad. Well, yeah, we were there. <laughs> One way, that's who we were there with at the palace. Ah, one way, very cool. That's who we did some shows with, one way in San Jose and a couple other places. Yeah, do you yeah, think do you think Arthur part of the reason that uh kiddo lost favor with AM was just because of the way music was going then? You know, I mean, funk was kind of getting pushed aside and. You know, more like contemporary R&B was coming up and uh, all that kind of stuff. We got caught like right in the middle of when Funk was on the way out. Bands like Slave and all these groups with these horn sections stuff. But that's who we were when we first got heard. But this new wave and, and, and punk stuff was coming out, you know, and they wanted us to sound like... A, a lot of that, you know, like craft work and, you know, they had a vision of what 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 they wanted it for then, you know, they would change, they'd say, well, no, man, we want you guys to sound more like Morris Day in the Time. And a lot of people look at that album that was there, man, you guys look like Morris Day in the Time. <laughs> you know, it was like, no, you know. But yeah, yeah, I think the change of music just, we just got caught in the middle of it. You know, and and A&M didn't really know if they wanted us to be a funk band or be a punk funk band or a new wave band. You know, but we did all of it. And a matter of fact, we got the record deal with the song Susie. That's what got us signed. Susie's gone on that kiddo album. Hmm. So I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, shortly after you guys were gone, uh, Janet Jackson kind of owned that whole thing with A&M. Yeah, because she was there when we were there. She was there, and she was, um, she, uh, 
me and Dana used to buy her candy bars out of the vending machine there on the lot. <laughs> As a matter of fact, because they were there. Oh, and Atlantic Star was there. Was the Brothers Johnson still there? Yep, they were still there too. LTD was still there, mm-hmm. uh, and Sting and the Police had just got there, and they was running things over there. They were, they were hot. They they was hot in '83. The Carpenters were still there, and all of this. Sticks. There was a lot of groups there, there, and we were there. You know, so. Did Did you do so any like, show? Do any shows with or meet the brothers Johnson, uh, George, and Lewis at all? Not with kiddo, no. Hmm. No, I got a chance to meet him. We did a show with him in Hawaii, but that was my Rolls Royce. So. So when, when Kiddo lost their deal, um, how did you guys take the news and, and what what was your first action after that? It was it was bad because we knew a lot of people that worked up there. It's like Tom Zickers was still there. So, you know, I'd go up there to see him sometime and this girl named Angie that worked there, they used to give us free albums and all this stuff all the time. And they would still let us on the lot. But I'll never forget the day I went up there and they wouldn't let me on the lot anymore. That's when I knew that it was completely over. <laughs> you know, the girl was like, hey, man, you know, man, it's, I'm like, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I'm like, man, you know, it's easy for situations to change, man, like overnight. You can change and you could be here today and just, may I help you tomorrow, you know? <laughs> So yeah, so you know, you know, after that, but but luckily for me, you know, I got another gig right after that. You know, because we the band just got so frustrated, man, and 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 uh, disappointed about that whole thing, man. The band just expanded, and then we need to get away from each other for a while or something, you know, and figure this out. You know, so I didn't know what I was going to do because I had never played with nobody else. Nobody in that group had ever played with anybody except each other. So to step outside of that was like a no-no, you know. But after it wasn't a band anymore, I didn't know what I was going to do. I really didn't until I got the offer to do that, you know, the other kid. The good. So, so how, how long were you uh, playing with Rose Royce? Almost 19 years. Wow. <laughs> yep. But maybe four, I think the last gig I did with them was like 2006 or something like that. Wow. So who was still, who was still in the group from, you know, their, their heyday of the late seventies when, when you were in there? Uh, Kenny Copeland, the one that sings, I want to get next to you. He's the band leader. He's still there. The trumpet player, Freddie Dunn, is still there. The drummer, Henry Gardner, is still there. And Michael Nash, the four of them were original. What was it like playing their material? Um, you know, was was it challenging or different much from Kiddo? Uh, no, because before we became Kiddo, we were doing a couple of Rolls Royce songs in our nightclub show. We were doing a, I Want to Get Next to You and a, Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is. Car was. So I already knew them songs, you know. 
you know, so we, you know, because they were popular, you know, so it, it was different from what we were playing. But we were, we were playing everything before we became a kid. We were doing OJs, uh, dramatics, everything, you know. How, how would you describe your, your style, Arthur? I mean, do you feel like you're more of an accompanist, or do you like taking solos, or, you know, you like coloring with textures, or how would you describe your style? I like, I really love playing ballads. I really like playing ballads, and I, I, a lot of people don't know that because I love funk. I, I love funk and ballads, and I think that's, that's what I gravitate to. You know, so I think I'm a, and lately I've been playing smooth, smooth jazz like stuff. I've started writing some of that stuff too. But ballads and funk is my, I think that's my thing. Yeah. I like, um, I like those ballads that somehow have a flavor or feel that ties and connects to funk. You know, I'm not sure what it is, but there's certain ballads, you know, that somehow seem deeper to me and, and somehow conjure the same kind of feeling I get from good funk, you know? Right. Um, I'm thinking of ballads by, you know, the kind of ballads like Cameo or Confunction or the Ohio Players, some of the Earth, yeah. Wind, Fire, you know, they tap into that same kind of deep soul that just moves you. I love confunction ballad. Man. That confunction, yeah. Yeah, confunction ballad. Then you put love on your mind. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Rose Royce, so you mentioned Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is. That was my favorite car wash track. And um, if, if it makes you feel like <laughs> dancing, if it makes you feel like dancing, yeah. that is, to me, their, their best funk jam. Yeah. Yeah, and we always save that for last, just before color rush. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's a funky, yeah. funky song. Nineteen yeah. years, wow. So, did you play with anybody else also during that time, or the other people you played with came after that? Everybody else came after that. Well, no. At the time I was with Rolls Royce, I actually did a couple of dates with uh, Mickey Howard during that time, and we were on our downtime. And uh, Hank Ballard in the midnight. I was with him for about a year during that time. Wow. There, there's an old yeah. school, old school legend. That was as old school as you can get. Some of the, <laughs> some of the shows that we did with the Skyliners and the Inkspots and the Drifters and Flamingos, I, I didn't ever think I would ever see any of these kind of people. You know? They were on the shows with us. It was different, and it was a lot easier to play. You know, that's just blues stuff, man. So it was fun. It was great. And what can you tell us about Mickey as a singer? Great, great singer, really great. And uh, we had a and of the band. Actually, we had a Raymond Calhoun Gap Band drummer was playing with us. Hmm. Also, you know. And a couple other guys and stuff, you know, that I knew. But, but but I only did like one date, one or two dates with her. You know, we did a lot of rehearsals, you know, and stuff. And it was it was good, you know. She was a 
she's talented. She has great songs, complicated songs to play. Now, all these string arrangements, because I was playing all the strings. They had somebody else that was doing all the piano. And the guy that was doing the piano was a monster, you know. But I was doing all the string stuff and synth stuff like that. I remember I, I interviewed her back in around 1990, and I haven't talked to her since then. Yeah, she, she, she's a little different. She's great. She's a great singer. You know, but she's real, real demanding at rehearsals. Mm. You know, you want stuff to be what it's supposed to be. So I'm going to uh, talk about some of these other people that I mentioned at the outset, and you tell tell us um, what your experience was with them, if you would, Arthur. Like, um, mm -hmm. you know, Chocolate, what, what what did you do with her? We got a band, and we, we were... Uh, we were doing a couple of funk fest and stuff like that with her. And she does, her show consisted of like a combination of Sly Stone and uh, Grand Central Station stuff. That's what we were doing with her. And uh, she's nice. She's nice. She's great. She's professional. You know, and um, she's easy, real, real easy to work with. Real easy. I play with her. Well, about I think the last time I played with it might have been four or five years ago, maybe four years ago, five years ago, something like that. Well, I mean, I'm not only such a I'm such a big fan of the music that she did, but also that she's been such an advocate for the funk just for all these decades. She is, and she and she still has her funk box too. <laughs> she has got it going. <laughs> Yeah, I had her on the show, and when I talked to her on the phone, it was just such a kick for me to just hear her say chocolate, like, directly to me after listening to it on record, you know, all that time. It was, <laughs> that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, she's fun. So uh, what about Slave? Slave, um, I hooked up with the bass player's son is playing bass with him now. And this girl I knew had met him and he had came out here to California to find a couple more players, you know, for the band and stuff. And uh, the girl introduced me to him. And so we hooked up and then he ended up going back home. Well, we did a show, we did the Funk Fest out here in Orange County Funk Fest in, in 2017. And then we did one, I think 2016. And then we went to Oakland and did a show up there with uh with Invoke up in Oakland. And uh, but the whole band now is all from Ohio except for me. I was the only one that was from out here that ended up in here. And whenever they come out, you know, I hook up and rehearse with them. I have them rehearse with them and then we do the shows. You know. How how was it playing tracks like Slide and did you do Stellar Funk? Yeah, we did stellar, but mine was a, a, a sizzling hot was my favorite. Hmm. We opened the show with sizzling hot, and we do uh, wait wait for me and all of those songs. Everything, we get the knees. I loved all of that. I remember them songs years ago. Yeah, yeah, I really love playing with them. Yeah, yeah. but everything's down now, so everything's came to a standstill. 
Well, it's great that they're continuing to, you know, get that music out there when they're able to now. Hopefully they will again, but, you know, keep it alive because so many, you know, the members of that band, you know, we lost too early. So. Right, 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 right. Including the bass player's father. Yeah. Mark Adams. Yeah. Great band. Yeah. Um, and you also played with New Birth? Yeah, I did a show with New Birth at the Nokia Theater up in L.A. about five years ago. And so then we had to rehearse with them. And, uh, and I told the lead singer, I said, man, I went and seen y'all at the Long Beach Arena. <laughs> Me and the whole band, as a matter of fact. You know, we all we were, we were all young men. And, uh, yeah, man, I didn't ever think, you know, that I'd be doing that with them. But. That was great. That was, that was a great experience. And Rose Royce was on the show. Rose Royce and Tierra was on the show. And that was funny because I was backstage and Rose Royce didn't know that I was on the show. You know, when they ran into me backstage, they're like, man, what you doing back here, man? How did you get in here? I said, I'm on the show. <laughs> they were shocked. It was funny. We, we had fun and they put it down as usual. Rose Royce puts it down. How, how can how can you stop playing with with that band with Rose Royce? I had got sick and I was in the hospital for like a month in 2006. And after I got out, they were they were afraid to take me back on the road because they didn't know if I was gonna you know, have any problems or anything because I had blood clots in my face. And uh, and they were afraid to take me back out because they didn't think I could fly and all of this stuff, you know. And so I had to do a session up north to, to prove to them that I could still fly. So after that, they hired me for a couple of other gigs here and there, but they had already replaced me. Because when I got sick, there was three concerts that, we took that I missed. And they didn't have, at, at that time, they didn't have any backup for anything. So, you know. I was going to try to still try to do the concerts until they kept me at the hospital. And then I had to call them and tell them I couldn't do those gigs. You know, they wouldn't let me, they wouldn't let me out. But yeah, that's how I ended up, you know, but, but, but I'm still friends with him and stuff. I talked to Kenny almost every day. He calls me the, the leader, you know, we kick him on uh, recording stuff. You know, they're working on some new stuff also. That I'm involved in recording. Cool. They've certainly had a, you know, a turbulent history. Oh, yes. Real <laughs> special. Yeah. <laughs> but still, still rolling, man. You know. Yeah, yeah. Man. They still killing it out there. They ain't, they ain't taking no prisoners. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, at first when I heard Car Wash going way back and I was thinking maybe they were like a novelty act, but then when they came with that second album, I knew right away they were serious. Yeah. Everything. For a minute, everything they did. Because they had came to see us when we were still playing nightclubs, you know. And I remember three of them came down and they had just blew up. They had just in full bloom, I think, it just came out. Yeah. And Michael Williams came. And Kenny and I think the drummer, and they all had on their three-piece suits. And they came down to the club, and we did I Want to Get Next to You because we had choreography with, with ours and stuff we had. You know? And they were kind of shocked, you know, that because Michael Nash had been telling about Above and Beyond, you know, but that's where he came from, too. They wanted to come and see us. 
we did that and we did put your money where your mouth is. Okay. So I had met them before we actually, you know, did anything. But uh, they were a great band to work with, you know, and whenever they need me, I still gig with them. I, so I still got the song list and all of that, <laughs> just in case they call me. Occasionally they do, you know, they call me. But, uh, so how'd you end up getting involved with some of the rap guys? I was I was just doing nothing but R&B and stuff like that. And uh, I started making tracks for some local rappers that was in my house. You know, they wanted a track, and they stuff was a little simpler. There's no changes, no bridges, just, just a loop, basically. So I started dibbling and dabbling with that, and then, I, you know, I started getting kind of good at that. And uh, and so they started bringing the other rappers to my house, and they brought other rappers to the house. And I started working with this one guy named Radio that was really good, and he had got signed with Interscope for a minute. But him and Tupac both got signed around the same time. And they put all of their money on Tupac. So he kind of just faded out. And uh, we were still recording with this manager he had was had his own label. So um, we had Snoop Dogg, you know, agreed to do an intro on the album and stuff for us and stuff. And he came down there and he, he did a little talking intro thing. He didn't really rap on it. You know, he just did what he does, you know. There's a big Snoop Dogg, you know. And, you know, and stuff like that. So we started having a lot of, a lot of cats like uh, Dub C and all these other rappers on stuff. And uh, and I had a chance to do, um, I had a chance to sing background on one of Ice Cube's songs, How to Survive in South Central. So it was it it was me, and and uh, the two girls from the Bride, Funkenstein. We did the background on that song. The three of us, because that was on the Boys in the Hood movie soundtrack. In fact, it was the title track, I think, for uh, that soundtrack. Yeah, so that's how I ended up getting involved in rap stuff, kind of. I, I had Val Young on uh, recently, and she was talking about singing on all this hip-hop stuff, and it sounded like, you know, after doing all the funk and everything, it's really kind of easy to do, you know, because oh, really, yes, yes, it was. We called it easy money back then, you know, because you didn't really nothing was elaborate, you know, and but but a lot of the stuff is unorthodox because some of the samples and stuff that they use and stuff ain't even the key of the record, you know. And I'm trying to keep everything politically correct, but oh man, but this is hip hop, man. It, it don't matter. I'm like, yeah, but that's not the right key, <laughs> you know. You got this part playing. But that's hip hop, and they taught me, you know. You know, it's basically, it's almost like funk. You know, it's almost like anything goes, whatever you feel. You know. But yeah, yeah, I had fun doing. It. I still do a uh, rap track for some people you know, sometimes. You know, you mentioned about just loving ballads and funk. What was it about funk? that you know does it for you you know what what is it about that style that just doesn't 
the first time I heard Sly and the Family Stone do thank you, it was just, that was it. It was, it was, it was just that bass line. That, it was just, I don't know, it just makes you feel a different kind of way. It makes you want to play that. You know, it, it, it was, uh, I don't know. It just made me feel, it, it's, to me, it's like you're playing something that's just an extension of your soul, you know, the primitive side of your music or whatever. You know, you want to call it. That's what it was to me. Yeah, that track was revolutionary, for sure. Oh, man, when I heard that. And then I got a chance to do it with chocolate, and that made it better. Yes, it did. <laughs> yeah. When, when you yeah. did it with her, did you do the uh, any of the bass part, or are you stuck to the uh, accompanying that? Oh, no, we had a bass player that was handling that. Yeah. You know, and uh, well, I was just doing the clavinet and the organs. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Arthur. Um, what What are you doing? You know, you mentioned that you're doing some smooth jazz. You're working on your own thing. And how's that progressing? And when might we hear something? And Oh, I figure by the summer I should be finished. Maybe before then. Maybe a couple of months before then, but yeah, yeah, I I should be finished by then because everything kind of slowed down right now, you know. So probably for the summer, spring, or whatever. Is it kind of a, yeah. a is it a one man band kind of thing, or you got some collaborators? I got a couple of collaborators. Uh, I'm 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 working on a new song for Kiddo, also a single for Kiddo, and uh, Donnie is writing the lyrics to that right now. And I did the tracks, and um, and I'm working on uh, some smooth jazz stuff that I did, and uh, I'm I'm doing a ballad uh, EP that's gonna be all love songs and ballads and stuff. You know, it's it's called Bedtime Stories. Yeah, so that's that's basically what I'm in the process of right now. Definitely would love to hear a kiddo single. Um, I had gone back and looked at on YouTube. You guys had some shows on there that were as recent as you know, just a couple of years ago. And uh, yeah, we were doing some little things. And yeah. and we were about to do the big funk fest in Orange County until the COVID shut it down. We were already booked, and it just went away. <laughs> you know, but I'm still in touch with the promoters, so. so. When, when it does come back, we'll be on there. One of those shows I saw, I mean, you guys were doing like a whole bunch of P-Funk tracks, you know? Yeah, man. The this, this place we played, a lot of these promoters, they try to dictate what songs that they want to hear. Huh. You know, you know, that's in the show. And it ain't always, you know, because we're not P-Funk. We're, you know, you know, but they want to hear this and some of the they wanted a couple of the Bride of Funkenstein songs. I'm like, we don't even have any females in the group. <laughs> Why would you want us to do this? <laughs> so it was, it was, it was just insane. It wasn't a good thing. You know, we used to do an Aikido show, and that's what we do. And you know, so we're back to that now. We stopped that, that, uh, that piece on. You know, but we're not, 
before, even though, you know, we were associated and Donnie wrote some of the songs. Now, I'm always doing a song to Donnie wrote, like Agony of Defeat, you know, Big Bang Theory. We could do those because it makes sense. But all the other stuff, no. <laughs> How can uh, people best keep up with you and find out when you have something new coming? Uh, well, basically, uh, normally I post stuff on my Facebook page for my um, my. Uh, I guess it's a Facebook um, Facebook artist page, Arthur B. Brown uh, Facebook. And I post stuff on there too, you know, up and coming shows or whatever, you know, that way. And um, and my Facebook is Arthur B. Brown also. What's the so B stand for? Excuse me. What's the B stand for? Burnett. So they call me AB. That's my nickname. That's what everybody basically calls. Me. You know, it's one AB. So. That's they, uh, yeah, yeah. That's how they can find out easily because I normally post everything that I'm doing on there. All right. Well, definitely keep a ear and eye out, and um, you know, stay safe, Arthur. Really been cool talking to you, and thank you for sharing those stories. And you know, yeah, anytime, anytime. All right, man. You take good care. Okay, man. You too, man. Thanks a lot. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Wolfine saying, keep on keep vibing, on vibing to the rhythm of the one.